All right, everyone, welcome to Two Cities Church. We're glad to have you here, everyone who's here with us in the lobby watching us online. Uh, my name is Caleb Duvick. I'm one of the pastors here at Two Cities Church. If you don't know me, and I want to say welcome. We're excited to continue our series and the book of Psalms. And we are using Psalms as a way for us to continue to learn and grow. What does it mean to pray? Because the Psalms are not just parts of the Bible that we read. Psalms are things that speak for us when we don't know what else to say. And so we're excited about continuing along with this. We last week gave out this right here. It's a prayer devotional, and we hope that you grabbed one of these. We hope that you're using it to help you go deeper in what we're talking about here this week. The beautiful thing is you only have five things to do a week. That way, if you miss a day or if I slept in, it's like, shoot, I forgot, you can go back and catch up pretty easily. And so we hope you can enjoy that. If you don't have one, you can get a copy of that on our website, grab a digital file, and start walking along with us today. So last week... Kyle started us off in Psalm chapter one and he was looking at what does it look like for prayer to be scripture fed. Today, the kind of prayer that we are talking about today has to do with confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, open it up to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 is where we're gonna be today. And I love this Psalm dearly. Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm, such a psalm may be wept over, absorbed into the soul, and exhaled again in devotion. I guarantee you, if you are not familiar with this psalm today, I believe it is gonna be one that you go back to over and over again the rest of your life. This became one of my most worn out pages in my Bible back in college. God was doing just a lot of work in my life and in my heart and was teaching me the importance of confession and repentance. But in order for Psalm 51 to make a lot of sense to you, in order, in order for it to have its fullest impact, you have to understand the story behind it. Because there's a whole story that happened leading up to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the response to that. And so I just wanna walk through that with you today. If you see in your Bible, most of you have a uh, introduction to this Psalm that says something like this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so I just want to take a minute to unpack that story. You can find that elsewhere in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But essentially it's this. King David, most of you know who King David is, was staying at home from war, which was unusual because kings usually went with their armies to war. But he was staying back. He decided he was going to go out for a stroll on his roof. And he looked out over the city and he saw a woman who was bathing who happened to be the wife of one of his friends. And he decided he was gonna have her brought to him. They slept together. But what ended up happening was they got pregnant. And now for many times, they, he tried to cover this up in a number of different ways. None of them worked. And so what he ended up doing was he had the husband of that wife put to death so that he could marry her and try to cover things up. Well, time went on, he thought he got away with it until Nathan, who was a prophet, came to David and lovingly but boldly called David out on his sin. And Psalm 51 is David's response to that. It's a very low point in an otherwise spectacular life of someone who is called a man after God's own heart. And so we're gonna see what does it look like to respond as a Christian when we sin. Because what we're gonna see here in Psalm 51 is pretty countercultural. If this psalm was written today by most people that we see apologies come from, if you read it, it would probably say something like, hey, I'm sorry I offended you, or if you were offended by my actions, hey, I'm sorry if you feel that way. 
I'm sorry, but fill in the blank, or I was tired, I was lonely, I was hangry. That's why I did all these things. Because that's often what we see around us today, isn't it? It's these apologies and, and, and confessions that are not really confessions. And so what we see David penning here in Psalm 51 is, is very different. It's very different. It's showing us what does it look like for the church and the Christian to respond when we sin? What's the difference between worldly grief and godly grief? What's it look like when someone is sorry that they got caught versus someone who truly, deeply hates their sin? And so we're gonna unpack this together and let's just start by reading through this psalm together with one another. Look with me in verse one, it says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Guys, as we unpack this, something that we have to embrace and understand is your story and David's story are the same. David's story is your story because we are all capable of doing what he just did. David was considered a man after God's own heart. He was one of the godliest men that ever lived, but he went there. The same sin resides in us. And so David's story is our story. But if David's story is our story, then this psalm is our psalm as well. If God can use this psalm to redeem a man who committed such horrible acts of sin, how much more can he use the same thing in our lives? And so you can turn to this psalm with whatever it is that's in your life, wherever you're at. You can turn to this psalm with your kids when they steal a toy from one of their friends. You can turn to this psalm when you sin against your spouse again and hurt them deeply. You can turn to this psalm when you run back to that sin that you promised you would never go to ever again because it speaks for you. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or an old Christian. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are at. This psalm will speak for you. And not only that, it teaches us. 
Because we need to be taught again. Some of us have forgotten what it looks like to confess and repent. Maybe we knew it at one time, but we need to be reminded. Some of us need to be taught for the very first time because maybe you have a mom or dad who never apologized to you, who never showed you what confession and repentance look like. And so you need this for yourself and for the people around you because listen, confession and repentance is the cornerstone of what it means to be a Christian. It's the foundation. Martin Luther once said, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. And so this is something we have to learn. We have to grow in. And the big idea that if you take nothing else today, you need to hear this. God will meet you with compassion when you come to him in confession. God meets us in compassion when we come to him in confession. That's the beautiful news that we all need to hear today. But we wanna unpack this more and see, man, what is it that David wants us to see? What is it that God wants us to see today in Psalm 51? The first thing that you need to understand is this. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. David is starting to see his sin rightly for the first time in all of this. And if he were here today talking about his story, one of the things that he would come up here and tell you is, you are a sinner, not a mistaker. Oftentimes, that's what we look at our sin as. It's just a simple mistake that we made. I had a bad weekend. I made, a one, cho- I made one choice. It doesn't pair up with everything else that I've done. It's just a mistake. And David says, no. It is far deeper than that. It is much more serious. And he tries to communicate this in a bunch of different ways, nuanced. We see this in verse one, look with me. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my, what's that word? Transgressions. Look at in verse three, it says, for I know my transgressions. What he's trying to communicate there is, All these different words mean different things. Transgression means conscious rebellion. When we do these things, it's conscious rebellion. That means we know where the line is and we choose to step over it. It's like when you're driving down the street looking for some parking, you see the no parking zone. You're like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm gonna do it anyway, you know? You park there, it's like, I know where the line is, but I'm gonna do it anyway. That's what David is communicating we do over and over. Look at this, he says in verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Iniquity is a bentness, it's a twistedness. Theologically, they're talking about being a perversion that seeps into every area of our life. Think of it this way, you're doing a load of whites and you decide to throw in a fresh new pair of red socks. You throw them in there, what's coming out? It's gonna be stained, every single piece that you had. That's what iniquity does. It seeps into every area of our soul, of our lives. He says this, in verse, at the end of verse two, he says, cleanse me from my sin. Verse three, it says, my sin is ever before me. Here's what sin is. Sin means we fall short. We miss the mark. We don't do what we were meant to do. We are not who we were supposed to be. And if we're honest, we can probably see this in almost every single area of our lives. We are constantly falling short. We're falling short as friends. We're falling short in our relationships, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our jobs, in our leadership. We are always falling short because we are filled with sin. 
But so David says, listen, this is not just some mistake. It's something far deeper than that. And it has effects. Sin is offensive and comprehensive. Sin is offensive and comprehensive. Who, who is it offensive to? Well, number one, God. Why? Because sin defies God. Sin defies him. He says in verse four, he's speaking to God here, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, when we sin, typically, who do we think we've done that against? The person that it was directed to, maybe even ourselves? But David sees it far different. He says, against you, God, you only have I sinned. How strange is that? How is it sinning against God when we sin? Well, number one, he's the one who created the rule. He's the one who created the law. He said, this is the way that you ought to live. And so when we sin, we are breaking that law. We are stepping over that line that he threw down for us. And at an even deeper level, every time that we sin, we are effectively saying, I'm God. You know what, I know you said this, but I know better than you. I wanna fulfill every longing, desire, whatever it is I need. I don't care who it affects or who it goes against. Every time we sin, we are effectively shaking our fist at God. And David knows this. He says, I needed to see this. You need to see this. That's why we teach our kids, me and my wife, whenever we discipline our children, we have, we have a conversation with them. We say, baby, who did you sin against? Your sister, yes, that's right. Who else? Your mom and dad, yep. Who else though? God. Because we needed them to see that every sin they have, it's always vertical. It's always vertical. So we need to teach our kids this, we need to teach ourselves this because oftentimes we lose sight of this because every sin is vertical no matter how disastrous the implications are horizontally. It's always against God. And so it defies God, but it also, sin destroys man. Sin destroys man. Sin destroys us. Sin makes us monsters. Some of you are like, man, I didn't know this about David. You know, he's famous in the kids' ministry, right? Because he slayed a giant, because he fought off like wild animals. He's awesome. Like, how did he get there? Well, the answer is little by little. It's by giving into sin little by little by little. It's a path that you take to get there. And it's the same for every single one of us. We get there little by little by little. No one wakes up or flips the switch and decides they're gonna become a monster. My kids and I, were we were watching uh, 101 Dalmatians a couple weeks ago, my girls are fascinated with Cruella de Vil. They're like, Daddy, who is that bad lady? It's, well, it's Cruella, Cruella de Vil. Why is she like that? I don't know. Like, how do you become this eccentric, fashion-obsessed puppy murderer? It was not just like that, it happened. You know, they're actually making a movie about it that comes out this month. I can't wait to see what that story is. Um, but that's how we can all be. I sat across from a serial adulterer. It's like you did not wake up and decide just to become this. As more and more came out, it was a long road of choice after choice after choice after choice. And all of us are capable of the same thing because that sin is in all of us that leads us down a dark path. You know, the thought that once bothered us becomes an action that no longer plagues our conscience. 
the temptation that you once agonized over is now the full-blown sin that you no longer lose sleep over. That road is in every single one of us, and we have to see sin will destroy us if we do not head it off. And not only does it destroy us, but it destroys others. There are consequences for all of our sins that reach out around us. Uriah lost his life because of David's sin. Bathsheba lost her husband. The child that they had died. The general that David used became an accessory to murder. Our sin causes pain in other people's lives. And not just now. The sins of our presence reach out into our future. David's sins caused a lot of heartache later in his life. One of his, sin, one of his sons become, became a terrible adulterer. Another one of his sons became a mass murderer. As a result of what they saw their father doing and what that did in their hearts. In the same way, our present sin has effects in our future. Some of you are learning this. The first time you lie in a relationship, the seal's broken. And it allows you to make it easier and easier to tell lies in that relationship. Maybe some of you are looking at pornography as a single person thinking, listen, this only is affecting me. I don't see what the harm is. But what you don't know is that you carry all of that over into your marriage. And it's gonna affect your future spouse. Because present sin always has consequences that linger on into the future. And so we see our sin is destructive. It's serious. But we also see that it's comprehensive. David tries to get us to see this. He sees how deeply sin is reigning in his own life. He says this in verse five. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. David knows we're sinners from birth. I've been told that I often use too many illustrations about my kids, and so I'm gonna switch it up. Pastor Steven's kids, all right? <laughs> they, didn't need to taught to, they didn't need to be taught to be sinners, all right? They figured that out all on their own without Stephen and Rachel's help. Kids know this. They, it's, we're inherently sinners, and we're sinners from the time that we are born to the time that we die. We don't outlive our sins. We don't outgrow them. No matter how we try to run away from them, they are going to follow you to the grave. And what David's doing is unpacking this doctrine called total depravity. That's what we experience in our life. And that doesn't mean that, hey, we're bad, as bad as we can be all the time. What it's saying is that sin has entered into every area of our life and the damage is total. We see it in our lives physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, motivationally. Sin has grabbed a hold of us. It is comprehensive. And so David is saying to you today, do not think that your sin is small or insignificant because there is a weight and a gravity that you cannot even comprehend. It is far more offensive and, and man, just overreaching in every area of our life than we could possibly know. You have to understand the weight of your sin. Sin is serious. But we also see in Psalm 51 another beautiful truth. Yes, sin is serious, but God is gracious. In the midst of the seriousness of our sin, we see a gracious God because that's what David sees. He sees the weight of his sin and he runs to a God who is filled with love and compassion 
and grace. And God meets him there with it. We see God giving grace to us in a number of different ways. The first way we see God giving us grace is by simply revealing our sin to us. And that may seem strange to some of you. It's like, how is that loving or gracious? But I'm telling you, one of the most gracious, loving things that God can do is expose and reveal our sin to us and the people around us. And not just at the surface level. He wants to get all the way down to the heart. Because when he is addressing David, he doesn't want to just take care of the murder and adultery. What he wants to do is go to the levels of his heart that made that murder and adultery possible. And that's what he wants to do with us too. He doesn't want just to see behavior modification. He wants to see heart transformation in each and every single one of us. And he does that in a number of ways to reveal our sins to us. The first way that he does that is through his word. God's word is used to reveal our sin to us. It's like a mirror that we hold up. I don't know about you, but man, oftentimes we just take a a look at ourselves and just think, man, I'm pretty good. It's like a dude walking up to a mirror. It's like, okay, all right, I'm good to go. Your wife is like, are you sure? (laughs) Yes. What do you mean? It's like, man, we don't appraise ourselves very well, do we? We always think that we're much better than what we are. But what God's word does is it's, it's an HD mirror. You hold it up and you can't walk away thinking you're good. Because it shows us our sinfulness down to the heart And it's God's grace that he does that for us. Another way that God reveals our sins to us is not just through his word, but through his people. That's what David experienced. Nathan was a friend of his. He was in community with people who loved him enough to call him out on his sin. Nathan came to him and said, I see something in your life that you have to see. The philosopher Seneca said, other men's sins are before our eyes, but our own sins are behind our backs. That's what community does is it points out those sins that we either don't want to see or don't even know about. So some of you, man, if you want to fight sin well in your life, you need to surround yourself in a community of people that are loving you enough to point out sin in your life. And you be willing to receive that. It's one of the ways that God shows his grace to you is by revealing those things to you. But another way he shows his grace is his willingness to cleanse us. Not only does he point them out, but he says, I want to do something about that. But here's the thing. That cleansing is going to be costly. It's costly. And David knows this. He is calling out, crying out to God, would you cleanse me of my sin? Here's what he says in verse 9. Hide your face from my sin. He says, he's so overwhelmed by how sinful and guilty he is. He says, don't even look at me. But then he says, blot out all my iniquities. Verse 7 says, purge me. With hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He wants cleaning in his life, in his heart. And some of you might read that, and you're like, what in the world is hyssop? (laughs) Well, it's, it's a little plant that was used for sacrifices and offerings. You would use it for dipping in the blood or sprinkling blood. And that points to, to David knowing, listen, God cannot simply overlook this sin. It's not that simple. Something has to pay the price. Something or someone has to die in order for me to be able to live. And he's right. In Hebrews 9, it says this. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. 
and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Something or someone had to pay the price. And even though David did not know this, when he was crying out and writing down Psalm 51 for us, what he was looking to ultimately was Jesus Christ our Lord. Because the sacrifice that needed to be paid in the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. The blood sacrifice that needed to be paid was by someone who's perfect and spotless. And that's why in John 1, you hear John the Baptist crying out when he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why Jesus came was to be a sacrifice, was to pour out his blood for the sins of many. And that's why we sing songs in church. It may seem strange to people. Why do we sing about blood? It's because it is one of the most precious things that we've ever been given is Jesus' blood poured out for us. That's why we sing songs like Nothing But the Blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And listen, it took all of it all of his blood, his entire life he had to lay down. He is not like Dumbledore in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince when a sacrifice needed to be paid and he just gave a little of it to appease it. It took all of Jesus' blood to sanctify and cleanse us. Jesus is the better, truer Dumbledore, amen? All right? And that's why we sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. If you are here today and you know that you need cleansing, you know that you need to be forgiven, there is no other possible way that you can experience that apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is it. It is your only solution. And we have to understand The cost of that was great. But we also see the beautiful truth that that forgiveness, even though it was a great cost to Jesus Christ, is it's free for us. Our forgiveness is free. Jesus paid everything that he had so that we could have the reward. All we brought to the table was our sin, our guilt, and shame. He said, I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna give you the reward. I'm gonna give you the riches. And at the end of this time, we're gonna talk about what are those riches. But I just wanna give you one thing I see in Hebrews that just filled my heart with joy this week. It said, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus Christ, let us draw near with the true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what we can experience because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the amazing news of the gospel, is it was grace given to us freely. And so we see the the bad news, that our sin is serious. We see the good news, that God is gracious. And So how do we receive that? How do we tap into that? How do we experience the reward that comes through God's blood, through his grace, through his love? We see that confession is the connection. The way that we tap into it, the way that we experience it is through confession. That's what connects us. It moves from knowing something to responding to something. We have to move from knowing and reading about Psalm 51 to actually living it out in our lives. 
We make David's prayers our prayers. And one of the things that we see when it comes to confession that David teaches us is that confession involves honesty and it involves humility. True confession involves honesty and humility. We see this with David, where he completely lays himself out before the Lord. He's not holding anything back anymore. What we see is that honesty means there's no more blame shifting. There's no saying, it was him or her that did this. Hey, it was the circumstance that drew this out. No, David's owning it fully for himself now. Some of you, the reason that you struggle to confess and repent of something is because you've become so good at making everything in your life somebody else's fault. God is saying, stop. We need to take ownership in everything that we experience in our life because the odds are is you have contributed something to it. Even if it's just 1%, we need to be able to honestly look at it and say, I own that. That's what I brought and I need to confess that and repent that. And so honest confession brings an end to blame shifting. But what it also brings an end to is hiding. David has been doing such a good job, actually probably a bad job, of hiding everything. He thinks he can hide it away from people. He can hide it away from the Lord and just be okay. But he comes to the end of himself and knows, I can't hide it anymore. Some of you have, begotten, have became so good at hiding things away from your spouse, your friends, your boss. But here's the thing. God sees it. God sees it, even if nobody else does. What we're doing is so silly. It's like me as a three-year-old in nap time playing with my flannel graph dinosaurs under my sheets, but my parents can't see me because I'm under the blankets. They knew. They knew. And God knows too when we do these things. And so let's stop being silly and trying to pretend like God can't see these things. Or maybe you try to hide in a different way where you just practice something that is gonna make up for whatever you've done. You try to practice religiosity where you're saying, man, I'm gonna have a stellar track record with my church attendance or going to community group or I'm gonna be serving as hard as I can or I'm gonna learn all these different theological truths or I'm gonna make up for it with otherwise stellar obedience over here. But God says, that's not enough. And David understands this too. He says in verse 16, for you, God, will not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering He's saying, there is nothing that you could do that could ever make up for what you've done. God doesn't want you to just do a bunch of things over here to make up for what you did over here. Because God is looking not just for outward modifications. He's looking for that heart transformation, right? He's not fooled. And so David shows us, man, what does real confession look like? We see it in verse 17. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. What it looks like to be honest before the Lord is real, genuine brokenness over what you've done. Nothing else can replace that. And if you've tried that, if you're not there, if, you don't, if you're not to the place where you hate your sin and what you've done, there's one simple thing for you to do. It's just to go before God and say, I want to be broken. I want to hate my sin. I can't do that. I've been trying and it's not there. I need you to do that for me. That's a real level of honesty. That we come before the Lord and say, break my heart for what breaks yours. 
And when we get down that road, that path with honesty leads us to God's grace. But we don't just need honesty, we need humility. We see David saying, I have come to the end of myself. There is nothing I can do to fix this situation anymore. I've tried, didn't work. It is far out of my control and there is even worse than that, nothing I can do to fix myself. I need you. And here's the beautiful news that we see when we come to him humbly and confess our sins. In John 1, 1 John 1, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we come to God in humility and say, I can't fix myself, I can't fix this, I need you to do it, God says, I can. I can fix you. I can work in you. I can work in this situation. Thank you for humbly trusting me. And so we come before God humble, but also what we need to do is learn how to come to other people humbly too. Some of us are really good at confessing to God, but we've never actually taken the step to confess to somebody else. What do we see David doing here though? Psalm 51 is penned out for millions of people to see over 2,000 years, right? Maybe you don't need to go that far, all right? Maybe you don't need to confess everything you've ever done on Facebook, but here's what it does mean. What would it look like for you to humbly and appropriately confess to other people, either people that you've hurt or people that can help you? People that you've hurt or people that can help you. That's what honest, humble confession looks like. Some of you struggle to do that, and I'll bet it's because of a pride issue in your life. Either you think that you're better than other people, or you don't want people to think less of you. Maybe you don't wanna think less of yourself, but here's what I've come to know about Christianity, is that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom, where the way to strength is through weakness. The way up is down. And that's what happens when we are willing to come before God and others in honest and humble confession. And here's the beautiful thing. When we respond in that way, God has great reward for us waiting. There's a beautiful result that is waiting for us when we take those steps to confess and repent of the sin in our life. And I wanna unpack those things for you. There's five things that we see here that Dave walks through verses 10 through 14 that I think you need to hear. Maybe for you it's all of these. Maybe for you it's one of these. But we see restoration is the result. And I wanna tell you what that restoration can look like for your, you in your life. Verse 10, it says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. David wants not just a clean slate, he wants a clean heart. Some of you are probably right there with him. You came here today and you're like, I want to be different. I want to change. I don't want to be like myself. I wanna be more like Christ. And here's the good news, is that God offers that. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he tells us this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the newness has come. That is what happens when you confess and repent is you are once again back in Christ and that is the place where he can work and transform your heart and your life. That's the good news that some of you need to hear today. Second thing we see is that we can once again walk with God. 
we can once again enjoy our relationship with God. Verse 11 says, cast me not away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What he is essentially crying out is, don't draw away from me. And that's how some of you might feel in here today. You feel far, far away from God. But I have good news for you today. Someone else knows what it's like to have the presence of God removed from his life. It was Jesus Christ on the cross. While he hung there, he, all of God's presence was removed from him. Do you know why? So that you didn't have to experience that. So that if you confess and repent to him, you could never know what it's like to have God's presence removed from your life. That is what he did for you. And that's what we can experience in him. A third thing that I see in verse 12 is that Christ can reestablish joy in our lives. Look with me, it says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Some of you are here today and you are missing the joy that you once had, or maybe you've never felt that before. And here's the beautiful thing, is Christ wants to give you that joy once again, and it comes through confession and repentance. I've sat across from several guys in my lifetime who had this sin in their life and they've been holding on to it. But they came to a point where they felt they wanted to confess that, to get it out there. And as I was able to speak the gospel over them, here's what I saw. It's like a weight lifted off of their shoulders. And you could see the joy on their face because they knew again that in Christ, God doesn't see their sin, he sees his son. In all of the righteousness that he has, he's given to you, there's a joy that comes in that. The next thing I see is that we can be used on mission again. We can be used for God's eternal meaning and purpose. Some of us, might be here today and you feel like you're so ineffective at reaching the world with Christ, at living out his life wherever he's called you. And maybe one of the reasons for that is because of sin in your life. Well, here's what David shows us. In verse 13, he says, after these things, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. You might think that's pretty bold for David to say because of all the sin and transgression he's done. But what David understands is that sometimes the people that are most effective on mission are the ones who know that they have been forgiven the most. Because our effectiveness on mission has nothing to do with what we know or what we do. It's about how much we've been forgiven. That's the power of our stories of grace. It's one of the greatest tools that God has ever given you to be on mission is it comes out of a result of repenting and confessing those things that we allow God to enter in our life and we can demonstrate that to people in new ways because here's what's not very compelling to people, a dictionary definition of grace to someone. But you know what is compelling? When we come and we pour out our life and we said, look at what God has done for me, that's compelling. And that's what God allows us to do through confession and repentance is to use our grace story to transform people because your mess often becomes your ministry. You can go to people and say, I once was this and now I'm not. Who is God inviting you to confess and repent so that you can be more effective on mission four? And the last thing I see is that we can once again truly worship him. 
That's what confession and repentance does. In verse 14, David says, deliver me from my blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Because when we fully understand all that we've been forgiven of, we can't help but worship. That's right, that is right. Man, you come here on a Sunday morning, sometimes we cannot worship. We're like, what is going on? I guarantee you it's not the band. Thank you, guys. <laughs> it's not their fault. Man, oftentimes it's because of a sin in our life that God's saying, lay it down, and you can worship me again. You can know what it's like to sing praises to me. I will loosen your lips through confession and repentance. Maybe an action that some of you need to have is what Donovan calls commutes of confession. Where on Sunday mornings, when you're driving down I-40, you are just pouring it out to God and saying, take this sin, Lord, so I can worship you for who you are. Maybe you're leading your family in that on the way here. Maybe you're confessing your sins to them over this past week so that you can come before God full of love and joy, singing his praises. These are the rewards, guys. This is what we can have again. And I don't know about you, but I want it. I want more of it in my life. Why would we not confess and repent when all of that is waiting for us, that Jesus is laying before us? What's keeping you from responding today? As we come to a close, I just wanna to talk to a couple different people in the room here, a couple people who are watching. For some of you, you are, you are here today, you're watching, and you're not a believer, or maybe you're not sure if you're a believer. But what I wanna ask you is, is this your Nathan moment? Is this the moment that God is using to come to you and say, I want you to see your sin. I'm exposing it before your eyes. I'm exposing it in your heart right now. How are you gonna respond? And no, God is not coming at you with a sledgehammer of condemnation. He's coming to you with the chisel of restoration. And it may be painful a little bit, but he is working to bring you back into a relationship with him that you were always created for? Would you lay your sin down at his feet? If you're a believer in here today, remember, this psalm speaks for us too. What is it that God is calling you to? For a moment, I want everyone just to bow their heads and close their eyes. I want you guys to reflect on this one thing. What is it in your heart today that you need to confess and repent to the Lord? For some of you, maybe it's a lifetime of sin. For some of you, maybe there's something that came up in your mind and in your heart today that the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Give it to the Lord. Remember this, your sin is serious, but God is gracious. And all that you need to do is confess that and repent that before the Lord. Let's just take a moment, whatever it is that the Lord is bringing to your mind, would you lay it at his feet?
you can continue to pray. Just even as we sing, feel free to continue to lay it out before the Lord. But I want to give you a couple more invitations. If you were here today, you came in, you were not a believer, and you began praying that God would take that sin, I want to invite you to do something before you leave here today. Is come talk to one of our prayer team members. They're going to be standing on this side of the stage. I want to challenge you. Would you be willing to be brave and take that step? Because we want to walk with you. We want to help you understand what it means to be living a life as a Christian, to be in a relationship with him. If you're here today and you're a believer and you had something you confessed and repented, here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do. Before you leave here today, I want you to pull out your phone, text someone who loves God and loves you, and tell them, hey, there's something I had to share with God today. And I want you to walk along with me. I wanna to to start taking steps in this area of my life. Would you be brave and would you do that today too? We're gonna respond in worship. And so I just pray before we, before we head into that, Lord, we, we love you. God, and we are humbled by your word, by David's confession, the model he is of what it looks like to pray in confession and repentance. And Lord, right now we, become, we come before you, the cross on Calvary with all our sin. We lay it at your feet. We know the mountains of our sin before the cross become flat plains, Lord. The sins that we have that outnumber the grains of sand, they vanish before you, before Jesus Christ, whose blood can cleanse us, Lord. God, we pray that you would do that for each and every single person today. You are good. You are gracious. So we lay it at your feet. In Christ's name, amen.